0: Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This thing Monday Night Raw, this fight way! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. A two-day pre-taped WrestleMania. In an empty arena amongst other closed sets. To me, doesn't quite sound like WrestleMania, but such are the circumstances right now in WWE as at least trying to make the most of it. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, March 26, 2020. I am Graham G. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. A lot to get to here today in regards to WrestleMania being taped yesterday and today. Yes, for the first time ever, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, WrestleMania will be pre-taped being taped as of this week. Now, it sounded strange when that report first came out last weekend, but now we know why. There was a mandate issued by the, um, you know, the province, county, whatever, of Orange County, Florida, dictating that there will be no, that they can't film past Thursday at the WWE Performance Center. Nothing, at least until, I think, unless I'm mistaken again, um, I believe Thursday, April 9th. That's two weeks from today. So if they can get everything filmed through... The next two or three weeks, at least the next two weeks, which would include SmackDown for Friday, which I think is already in the can, Um, 205 Live, not that anyone really watches that anyway, Um, Raw for next week, NXT for next week, SmackDown for next week, obviously WrestleMania itself, the two days um, of Saturday and Sunday, the 4th and 5th respectively, and then I think Raw and then NXT again, they should be set. I'm not sure if the NXT stuff is in the can or not. I know they filmed stuff, obviously, for this week and then last week, or I think next week as well. I would hope that they tape for two weeks from now, too. If they knew this was coming, and it sounds like they did, because otherwise, why would they go ahead with a taped WrestleMania? That's, that does not sound like a Vince call. If it was up to Vince, he would have it live, because it's WrestleMania. But I think they got a, a bit of a tip-off from someone at the state, whatever, That they couldn't film past a certain date, which is why, coincidentally enough, they are filming every part of WrestleMania yesterday and today. And I will say this the internet has done a good job so far, and maybe I'm speaking too soon because WrestleMania isn't for another nine, 10 days. That I have seen no spoilers for the show so far. That includes Raw, SmackDown, NXT, anything. I think they've already taped, I think they taped the night after WrestleMania before they even taped WrestleMania itself. They already taped that elusive night after WrestleMania with the crazy crowd and all the debuts and whatnot. Well, no crazy crowd this year. I don't know if it's going to be any more um, you know, equally as eventful as other post-WrestleMania Raws are due to the empty arena aspect of it. But they've already taped that, I believe, well before they even taped WrestleMania. So all that stuff is or will be in the can by the time... Um, 11 p.m. comes tonight, Eastern Time. They can no longer film, so hopefully they got everything recorded. Um, I know a lot of people are hoping, oh, hopefully not, and we can, you know, they can bump it. That's not going to happen. Trust me, I gave up on that a week ago. I would love for WrestleMania to be their first show back, but unfortunately, as I've been talking ad nauseum about this, and I apologize about the whole COVID-19 outbreak and whatnot, we don't know when it's going to end. We may have a better idea now than we did two weeks ago when we first broke all this down and everything was canceled and whatever. Um, a majority of events were canceled and it looks like every major promotions, pay-per-views and events in the month of April. And I said this maybe a few weeks ago on Twitter and maybe I cursed it myself that April was set to feature the super card of honor show from ring of honor, which uh, new Japan was also going to play a part in WrestleMania itself, obviously NXT, uh, the takeover show in Tampa Bay, the NXT UK takeover in Dublin, which has also been bumped. So I think October, which sounds like a long time, but they may not have had a choice if it was up to the venue and they have other stuff booked until then, which sucks, but that's what's going to happen. That's off the table. The Crockett Cup is off the table. Ring of Honor was doing a bunch of events, uh, doing a bunch of events here in the Northeast throughout the month of April. That's done too. Dynamite, I was supposed to be at Dynamite on April 15th in Boston and that's no longer happening either. That's already been bumped to August. Here's hoping all this is done by then, but there's no guarantees. We're still very much in a state of flux and uncertainty right now to the point where they're going to have to postpone a lot of this stuff. Obviously, not only in the month of March, but in April as well. And a lot of promotions in Ring of Honor, I think I said this last week, they've already canceled all of their shows up until the end of May. So that tells me that this thing may not be over for a very long time to come. Even if we hit the peak in terms of the amount of people that get this coronavirus, that doesn't mean we'll go back to normal immediately afterward. Uh, They have to allow the thing to die down and kind of uh, dwindle the amount of cases. I think in China... It wasn't really until they got down to zero new cases, at least, you know, within the country. And they're still having some new cases, but those were brought from without the, you know, from outside the country. Um, I don't know if they live in China or whatever, but I think at the last time I checked, anyway, they're not reporting any new cases of the coronavirus, and only now things are slowly starting to get back to normal for China. So, that's the state that they're in, and they're like two or three months ahead of us. It's going to be a while before we're at that point as well. Unfortunately, I hate to say that, but it seems to be the reality of the situation right now. But anyway, going back to my original point, Wrestlemania 36 being taped this week to air next weekend, and uh, so far, it sounds like they have pretty much the whole card set. A few more matches need to be made official. Like We don't know where Ziggler and Otis will fall on the card, if at all, and I assume they will after what they did with them on SmackDown last week. We'll find out the SmackDown tag team title match for Mania on Friday's SmackDown. Um, I would assume we're getting the Kabuki Warriors versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles. I know there was a rumor going around at one point saying that Natalya and Beth could be involved as well. I mean, as awesome as that, as that would be, it would have been completely random because Beth has been involved in the whole Orton Edge storyline lately. And, I mean, she hasn't even been on NXT commentary. The commentary team on NXT consists, I think, of Byron and Tom Phillips. Probably because they live in the area. So, Beth hasn't been on TV, I think, since since she was attacked. Since she was attacked by Orton a few weeks ago. I may be wrong, but I don't think she has been on the show. Um, and then Natalya, they may have been headed in that direction before. They had to cancel all the Raws and change all their plans. But at this point, it's too, a little too late for that. And considering they're doing Asuka versus Alexa on SmackDown this week, I still assume that match will be added to the card either on Friday or soon after. But we have three new, I think as far as I know anyway, three new WrestleMania match announcements including, obviously as we saw at the end of Raw this week, and this match has been pretty much set in stone since right after the Rumble, Edge versus Randy Orton in a last man standing match. And I'll talk more about Orton's promo from Raw momentarily when I get to the Raw review because that was amazing stuff. Uh, we're also getting, and these were announced on Twitter right before Raw started, two completely random matches, which I'll get to why they're random in a second. Um, Alistair Black versus Bobby Lashley, which yes sounds every bit as random as it sounds on paper, and then for the Raw tag team titles, the Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza, and that match is even more random. So. I don't know what the deal is with the Aleister Black Bobby Lashley match. They may have already been building to that anyway, even though we've had zero. Inter- like, I don't think we've ever seen Black and Bobby in the same place ever in WWE since Black got called up to the main roster a year ago. So that is completely random. I'm not saying it won't be good. I'm not saying either of these matches won't be good. I think they're going to be great, it, it, you know, especially that Raw Tag Team title match. I think after what we saw in Raw this week from Andrade and Angel Garza. I think that match could kick a whole lot of ass at WrestleMania between those two teams. It's just incredibly random. So I don't know what the deal is with the Black and Bobby match. Um, It's probably just a way to get Aleister Black on the card. And we already kind of found out they're not doing the Battle Royals this year. Oh no, like I'm so devastated. Like we all kind of figured that for two reasons. One, they have 30 people in one ring with no audience. Nothing really at stake. These Battle Royals every year are completely pointless. Um, is dumb anyway, but even more importantly than that, having 30 people in the same place at a time where I think the, the rules are where you can't have more than like 10 people or two people, five people, I I don't know, it's definitely not 30, it's a lot less than 30. That's probably not the smartest course of action if you're trying to, you know, uh, lessen the chances of contracting the coronavirus. So thankfully no battle royals this year, and yeah, it sucks for certain people that won't get on the show... A, safety comes first, and B, as I've said before, I don't even think a lot of these people are getting the WrestleMania bonuses this year. And WWE has the money to supply that, but I'm talking the millions upon millions of dollars they would have been making by hosting the event in Raymond James Stadium um, in Tampa. That money is completely gone. They're not getting that money back. They aren't getting that money Uh, because there is no show in Tampa this year. It's at the PC in front of absolutely nobody. So maybe they will get the bonuses. I have no idea. I would imagine that because they're cutting down on the card, and I think they're going to have 15 to 16 matches with eight per day, which, yes, again, is incredibly excessive. Um, But that's just, again, they want to split it up into two days and to do 10, even, even 10 matches at the PC over the course of a number of hours, five, six hours is a lot. So I think breaking it up into two days, as I said last week, is a great idea. A lot of these matches are completely filler. I forgot to mention this because, I mean, it's so irrelevant I forgot about it, but King Corbin, facing Elias as made official on SmackDown last week by the WrestleMania 36 host Rob Gronkowski, The guy officially turned heel when he said that, when he said that he wanted that match made official for Mania between Elias and King Corbin. Who could give a shit? I like Corbin. I like Elias. I hate the idea of those two feuding. Who cares? Especially WrestleMania. But again, they have to fill out the card somehow, especially if they're doing two days. Um, They don't have to. I mean, it could be like six matches a day or five matches a day. It could be like two different takeovers. Like the takeovers only have five matches and they only go two to three hours, it could be like that. But WWE, for them, bigger is better, and both days have to be as big as one WrestleMania. I doubt we're getting a six-hour mania on both days. I assume it will be more like a four-hour show, maybe five, probably four, though. A four-hour show on one day, four-hour show on the other day, and have that be it. So I don't think they're doing a pre-show, because, again, this is all in the can as of tonight, so... I think they'll... Maybe they will do a pre-show and they'll host it from the fucking headquarters. Who knows? But I doubt it'll be live because, again, all this stuff is pre-recorded, so why would you do that? Not that anyone really watches that crap anyway. Um, but anyway, they probably have already taped matches for the kickoff show. Who the hell knows? But we're getting those four matches made official for Mania, and I forgot to talk about the Raw Tag Team title match. So the case with that, Black and Bobby is just random as all hell. I'm, I'm glad Alistair Black is on the card because the guy up until, you know, earlier this month went undefeated on Raw. And then he, um, you know, he's been doing well. He beat AJ Styles at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. I wanted him in a prominent match at Mania with Taker. Unfortunately, they did not go in that direction. The uh, two-on-three handicap match scenario, they didn't do that, whatever. But um, that being said, though, it's cool to see him on the card. The match could be good with him and Bobby. It's just random as all hell. But some people have brought up how it's reminiscent of the old WrestleManias from the early... You know, the 80s and the 90s when they would have exhibition matches like that. And maybe so. But, um, I don't know. As a WrestleMania from the formula that we're used to seeing at these shows, which may be part of the problem. Hey, maybe the part of the problem is that we have way too many matches. And this is a match we don't really need. But maybe it's good and exceeds ex- expectations. Who knows? The other match, Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza. I was more disappointed with this one. Not because it won't be good like I said earlier. But because they had a ready-made match there with Andrade. Angel Garza, Rey Mysterio, who actually beat Andrade last week, and Humberto Carrillo. Now again, Carrillo is a goddamn loser. He's lost every major shot, every shot actually, that he's had at the United States Championship. He may have won one of them or two of them by DQ, but other than that, he's pinned Andrade a bunch of times, but he has always failed in the four or five shots that he's got at the United States Championship over the last six months. He's lost every single one of them. But, it would have made sense. They've been feuding for months now. That four-way would have been fucking awesome, and maybe we can still get that match at some point. But reportedly, two different things factored into the idea of making this match as opposed to that match in the Street Profits versus AOP. One, I think it's, I think it's Rizar. I'm not sure which member of AOP got hurt, but one of them got hurt. So the other one accompanied Murphy. I'm gonna say Buddy Murphy. I, I got to get out of that habit. One of them accompanied Murphy to the ring for main event last week. Yeah, Mur- Murphy was on main event, but I mean you got to make do with what you have, I guess. Not that they really should be recording the show anyway, but whatever. That's a whole different story for a different day. One of them was accompanying Murphy to the ring on main event. So the other one is definitely her. That rumor came out well before all of this happened. I think he got hurt on Raw two weeks ago. I want to say it was right before the Corona outbreak, the Coronavirus outbreak, and um, it was that it was the last Raw they had in the Natural Arena. And um I think it was because they had that eight-man tag team match with AOP, Murphy, Rollins versus Street Profits, and I think Viking Raiders in the heels won, but one of the members of AOP got hurt during the match. And that's not a minor injury reportedly either. He might be out for a while, which really, really sucks, especially for them, just because the Rollins faction has been on fire, I would say, for months now since they started it um, earlier on this year, late last year. But not only that, but... um, you know, AOP specifically, one of them was... I don't know if it's the same member of AOP or if it was the other one. They were out hurt for a long time, before they came back with Rollins last year, actually, right after Survivor Series. One of them had been hurt for almost a year. Like, they were the Raw Tag Team Champions in late 2018 for a cup of coffee. And that was when they were still being managed by uh, Drake Maverick, which never really worked. But they made the most of it, I guess, aside from the AOPP shit, which was fucking deplorable. But anyway... um, so they were the Raw Tag Team Champions, and then one of them got hurt, so they dropped the belts to Bobby Roode, now Robert Roode, and uh, Chad Gable on Raw. Now Shorty g but Again, that's let, let, let's not go there. Um, and then they were off TV for a long time. One of them was hurt, but you can't really use one without the other because they're not like single stars, you know? It's not like Gable and Jason Jordan or, um, you know, the revival kind of go hand in hand. So when one of those guys goes out, they both go out for a long period of time. And then they were cleared to compete by mid last year, and they were off TV for a long time. I remember seeing both of them in the that like that worthless Battle Royal at the Super Showdown show um, last June in Saudi Arabia, and they got chucked out by like Titus O'Neil or like it was a really anticlimactic elimination. They were in there with like the Viking Raiders, who I think got chucked by O'Neil. Um, AOP got chucked by like Heavy Machinery or some shit. I don't remember. But um I they were in that match and then they disappeared again for months until they resurfaced on Raw like in November. So hopefully they're back sooner rather than later, but it doesn't look good. So I think it was gonna be Profits versus AOP, which would make sense because again, the Heels beat the Prophets and the Viking Raiders on Raw two weeks ago, so that would make sense. And then the four way was reportedly scrapped because and again they could do something like Wrestle Kingdom where Andrade goes for the Raw Tag Team titles one day and then defends his United States Championship the next, but it doesn't look like they're going in that direction, unfortunately, um, at all. I feel like they either, A, would have announced that, and B, it doesn't look like anyone's pulling double duty at WrestleMania this year, which should be the norm, but they've done it many times before, and if there was any time to do it, if there was any you know, time to have someone pull a double duty at WrestleMania, it would be this year with it being a two-day event, but they're not doing that, I, I would assume. So, with that being said, Rey Mysterio is being quarantined, apparently, uh, which is why I guess Dana Brooke may have been pulled, or she has definitely been pulled, from the SmackDown Women's Championship Six-Pack Challenge at WrestleMania. So now it's a fatal five-way. Again, I'm so disappointed about Dana Brooke not being in the match. Sarcasm aside, um, that doesn't really make much of a difference. But it sucks, because Rey Mysterio would have been a big part of that match, and they had to scrap it because of it. you can't really do... Garza, Andrade, and Carrillo. I mean, it was Mysterio who beat Andrade last week. Why would you do that unless you're building to a four-way at Mania? They probably just found out because Mysterio was on Raw a week ago. So he probably either got sick or he couldn't leave. I don't know the full story. I speculated the same, actually, during my SmackDown review on the YouTube channel about a week ago on Saturday when I said that it was very odd to me that Carmella is not a part of that Women's Championship at WrestleMania, that Women's Championship match at WrestleMania, because she's been involved in the hunt for the title for, for months now. She actually faced Bailey for the belt on that Valentine's Day episode of SmackDown last month, um, and I think she might be quarantining as well. I think she, someone said that she had posted about it either on her Instagram or whatever the hell it was. Uh, which may explain why Corey Graves has not been on the show either lately on SmackDown. So, I think Carmella's out of Mania. Dana Brooke is out of Mania. Rey Mysterio is out of WrestleMania. And I guess, reportedly, again, all these people that are healthy enough to go have been quarantined at the hotel the entire time. So, during this four or five day stretch, when they've been recording all these Raws and SmackDowns and NXTs and even WrestleMania itself, they've been sitting at the hotel the entire time. And have, I, I would assume only left... Just to tape these shows. So they're taking this thing very seriously, as they should. Because if one person gets it, they are fucked. And you can't take any chances. You can't say, oh, Rey Mysterio might just have a cold. And then it find- then you find out he has the fucking coronavirus. And then everyone's screwed. All three other members of the United States Championship match are screwed. So y- you gotta, you know, tread lightly. Unfortunately, it means that several people will not be making the Mania card. And I mean... Again, I joke about Dana Brooke, but it sucks that, you know, she was looking forward to probably having that match, albeit it wasn't in front of, like, 80,000 people, but a match is a match at WrestleMania. She's not getting that. I don't think she's ever had a match in the main card of WrestleMania. Um, I don't think... She was at Mania 33. She wasn't, actually. She was supposed to accompany Charlotte. Charlotte turned on her, like, a month before. WrestleMania 34 and 35, I assume she was in that WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal, which would have been on the kickoff show both years. So she's never competed in Mania. This probably would have been her chance, and now it's gone. So it's really unfortunate, and it's a tough situation. But again, this whole thing is tough for everybody. you got to take precautions. Um, If it means her missing Mania, that's one thing. If it means everyone missing Mania and just canceling the whole thing, that really, really sucks because you find out that she has it or whatever. Hopefully she doesn't, but... Um, that's the update on WrestleMania. Before we go any further, and um, as you could probably tell from the title of this video, or rather of this episode, not the video, this episode of WrestleRant Radio, what I wanted to do this week was offer a WWE Network quarantine playlist of all the shows, documentaries, etc. that you can watch on the network right now during this tough time where people are stuck at home with nothing to do. So I will give my official WWE Network quarantine playlist of all the shows and documentaries and whatnot. You can watch in the network right now. If you're sitting at home with nothing to do, Raw's not on, SmackDown's not on, Dynamite's not on, and uh, if you've already gone through everything on Netflix and all the other streaming services out there... There is the WWE Network with a lot of content to offer, and very few people know more about the network than I do. I don't watch every Raw and SmackDown on there, but I do watch every original show they have. 99% of them, anyway. So I have a lot of suggestions for shows and documentaries and whatnot you could check out right now on the network. That's coming up at the end of this episode. Before then, though, I do want to review Raw. I do want to review SmackDown. Not SmackDown, excuse me. Um, NXT from Wednesday, which... Wasn't the greatest show of all time, but given the circumstances, given the empty arena and whatnot that they had to deal with, I thought it was a pretty good show and a newsworthy one at that, so I will be talking NXT, AEW, Dynamite as well. Not a ton of thoughts in all of these shows, but again, I'll get to them Um, you know, uh, in, in a few moments, reviewing each show, giving my thoughts on them before we get to the official WWE Network Quarantine Playlist in a little while. Before that though, really, really quick, uh, two different things. I don't know why I didn't mention this earlier. I completely forgot about it. The Chris Benoit Vice documentary. Part one went up on Friday on the Vice YouTube channel. They were kind enough to put up part one early, which I thought was very smart because part one was great. Part two was even better. Um, but part one was so good that it made you want to tune in and watch the second part. It wasn't just word of mouth, like, oh, I can't wait to watch the Benoit documentary. No, it was people actually going out of their way to watch part one. And, of course, you want to see what happens next. It's one of the greatest tragedies. And I say greatest, but, like, one of the worst tragedies in wrestling history. So, of course, you want to find out what's, uh, what's next in the documentary. So I thought that was very smart for them to do. I don't know what it's up now, uh, with the, with the views right now. Actually, let's go check on YouTube as of this recording. Um, there were a lot of views for it. I know a couple hundred thousand checked it out by even just Friday. Let's see. Benoit Vice, I think part one, I'm assuming the Wi-Fi is working right now. I don't think it is. Refresh, refresh, refresh. It's at 1.7 million views. Holy shit. Part 2 is at 495,000 views. And that only went up a day ago. That is fucking insane. Part 1 only went up on Friday night during SmackDown. That's unbelievable. Holy shit. Yeah, it was really, really good. So I'm gonna go back and watch it again. That's how good it was. It was really sad. Don't get me wrong. It was really tough to sit through. And I would sit here and do a full on review of the episode, but I'm probably going to wait to talk about it on Network and Chill, which may not be up for another week or so, because what I'm trying to do right now on the YouTube channel, we've already gone back, Alexis and I, and rewatched every, not rewatched, but like watched um, all six episodes from season one of Dark Side of the Ring. Very, very good stuff. Um, the show is awesome. If you haven't already checked it out, definitely do so. I had people recommending it to me for months, months and months and months. People were like, check it out, check it out, check it out. Never had the time, just never had the urge to until like a few weeks ago. We watched the, I think the Bruiser Brody one first and it was fucking great. So definitely go to your way to check them out. They are available online right now for free on the Vice website. And I think the Benoit one, again, is not only on YouTube, it's more accessible that way, but it's also on their website, vice.com, probably in full, not split up into two different parts. But, um, yeah, anyway, so uh, definitely check out the show. I will review the Benoit episode probably next week, I would say. Not, not next week, maybe the week after that. Because I know I already recorded a review for the Bruiser Brody episode. Um, and the last of the Von Erics one, I don't think I got to yet. I may have, but I'm not 100% sure. If I did, then that should be up uh, very soon. So anyway, guys, um, the Benoit doc is absolutely must-see. And a lot of people were saying, oh, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And I honestly have to agree. It's definitely different from the WWE ones and all the other wrestling documentaries you've seen that are like, oh, you know, this guy grew up here and he was born this time and he won this championship. And, you know, I can only see that type of stuff so many times before I get old. I need something real. And, yeah, they didn't really go into his childhood and whatnot, but did they even really need to? When you, when you think of Ben Watt, you think about the death. You need to go in-depth with that for two hours. And they did. It wasn't a 45-minute episode. It was two 45-minute episodes. And I thought they did a great job of kind of providing context for people who aren't even fans. Like, I would show this to any non-fan. I think they would dig it. So, uh, anyway, check it out right now, either on Vice.com or on YouTube. Dark Side of the Ring on Chris Benoit. So let's get right into Raw for Monday. I thought this week's show was actually pretty good. Not going to lie. Um, again, given the circumstances, and I thought they put forth a bit of a better effort than the week before. So yes, they did still devote a good chunk of time to match replays. I'll just get that out of the way early. Two different changes they made this week were that they didn't replay just one match, but two. Which I thought was smart because if you replay a Rumble, which again, that Rumble they showed last week was great, but I already rewatched it like a month ago. So I had no desire to see it again, at least not right now. So I just tuned out and we watched Dark Side of the Ring instead, Alexis and I. So, anyway... Um, I thought the, uh, I, I, thought the idea to replay not one, but two matches was smart and they spread them out too. They put one in the first hour and they put the second one, I think in the third hour as well. So they kind of put them on opposite sides of the show. And this match was also great. Both matches were great. The first one was the triple threat from the 2015 Royal Rumble for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, as it was known back then between Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, and John Cena. One of, if not the greatest triple threat match in wrestling history. It's definitely up there. I would not say it's the greatest. I still give that to Benoit, Triple H, and Michaels from the main event of WrestleMania 20. But the match for this, the the build of this match and everything else was really, really good. The match itself was also excellent. And I haven't seen that match in a long time, at least a few years. So I'm kind of happy they replayed that one. Yes, it was random. It was definitely random. Like... It was at the Rumble. It's not even a WrestleMania match. At least Charlotte and Oscar, which they replayed from WrestleMania 34, just kind of served a purpose because it was from WrestleMania, the end of Oscar's streak, and Charlotte retained the SmackDown Women's Championship, and um, on Sunday she's going for the NXT Women's Championship. Or not this Sunday, but, you know, next weekend at WrestleMania. So it makes sense. Um, the Rumble one was random, but it was a great match, so I can't complain. So uh, I thought they did a good job with the match selections this week... And yeah, should they fill the three-hour show with actual wrestling and original content? For sure. Um, I definitely think they should. But if you're going to choose a match, you might as well pick a one we haven't seen in a while in a match that's really, really good like these two were. And one of them was relevant. The other one was just awesome. And you can't... It, it, you know, honestly, it's better than having people go out there and wrestle, you know, empty arena matches all night. And I know they did it on NXT. I know they did it on Dynamite. I know they do it on SmackDown. Not really. SmackDown actually only had, like, two matches last week. But you know, still I think less is more. They only had a few matches on this show and they focused a lot on promos. AJ cut a promo, Paul Heyman cut a promo, Sheena Baszler cut a promo, Randy Orton cut a promo, Seth Rollins cut a promo. There were a lot of promos on the show. Which is really where I thought Raw shined. The match replays were good, I thought I didn't really get pissed at them as I, as much as I thought I would, like I did last week, which I thought was completely dumb. But I get it, you can't fill like an entire show with original content, especially now that they're booking these shows on the fly. I thought the promos, though, were really the best part of the show. And also what they did, too, a nice little touch. They moved the hard camera from where they usually position it. So, like, if you're walking out on the stage, the hard camera would almost always, for WWE, be on the... Actually, usually it's on the right-hand side, but for the last couple of weeks of the PC, it's been in the left-hand side, I believe. I may be mistaken here, but I'm pretty sure the hard cam is always on the right-hand side if you're walking from the stage. At the PC, it's on the left-hand side, but what they did with Raw this week and NXT on Wednesday was move the hard cam from the left-hand side to looking directly at the stage, which I like because it doesn't show you that there's no one in the arena. It doesn't show you the fans. I mean, granted, to be fair, Dynamite was already doing this, and Ring of Honor's been doing this, and I think Impact has been doing this a lot longer than them, than WWE and AEW, so they kind of stole a page out of their book, but it worked. I thought it enhanced the my enjoyment of both shows, because you're not looking at an empty arena for two, three hours. So I thought it worked here. The promos were great. Paul Heyman's was good as always. Nothing entirely groundbreaking, but they're making the most of what they have in the build of this match with Drew at WrestleMania. So I like that. Um, you know, Paul Heyman, and there's really not much more to say about the promo than that. I think Paul Heyman is a great mic worker. Some of his promos kind of blend together more than others, but I thought this one particular in particular was very good. We also heard from AJ Styles, who once again called out The Undertaker. He showed out the footage of Taker sitting in a pool. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't watch the full video until I saw it on Raw. But I definitely saw the footage. I I definitely saw the screenshot of it somewhere on Twitter. It was a shot of The Undertaker sitting in a pool with, like, I think, a tiger or something like that, with Michelle McCool, his wife, obviously. Completely out of character. He was talking about how you should save the tigers and all this other stuff. And it was bizarre, and obviously AJ had to bring it up because he's been shooting, you know, shooting from the hip in his promo and in his uh, feud with Taker since it started a few weeks ago. The whole thing they're going with with this feud is that, you know, he wants to challenge not The Undertaker, but rather Mark Calloway, which I like. I do like, and I feel sometimes that's a little forced, but we never see that with Taker, and he's at a point now in his career where he needs to ditch the dead man shit. Like, I know it's a, a classic character, it's iconic, At the same time, though, we've seen it a million times, and I feel like if he goes back to either being the American Badass or at least a different hybrid version of that in the Deadman, then you can get more out of the guy than what they've gotten out of him in recent years. Um, So I thought the promo was good. AJ's been really putting forth his best mic work since the feud started in a long time, and AJ's been a very good heel, but I feel like he hasn't really cut that many good promos, at least standout memorable promos, since the feud with Taker started. So I like that aspect of it. The big news coming out of the segment, though, was that he challenged The Undertaker at WrestleMania, which we already knew last week, but he challenged The Undertaker to a boneyard match. What that means, I have no idea. To me, it sounds like a buried alive match, or a graveyard match, which also isn't even a thing. But needless to say, I would have to assume the match is going to be filmed at a graveyard or... I have no idea. I honestly have no clue. But I, I am mildly intrigued. This could be very, very good or very, very bad. I think the whole I think that could be said about the about WrestleMania on the whole, that the show could either be great or just flat out terrible. I have no idea. They've never done this before. They've never had a two-day mania. They've never had it in front of no fans. They've never had it on multiple locations. They've never had to pre-record it. So I have no idea. But I am cautiously optimistic. I may eat my words. I'm not saying it's going to be a barn burner. I'm just saying it's going to be interesting if nothing else. So we'll see what they have in mind. A Boneyard match sounds like what they would have called a match between The Undertaker and Roman Reigns three years ago at WrestleMania when they were doing the whole, oh, it's my yard, it's my yard, it's my yard, oh, Boneyard. That's what that makes me think of. Not AJ Styles, who I think could get a semi-decent match out of Taker, but, you know, if if they're not going to be wrestling in front of an audience, then what's even the point? Why not just go all the way with it and do some... Spooky shenanigans instead. Some spooky chicanery from uh, some graveyard near the PC. Whatever. We then had our first match on the show. Original match. Not the Rumble match from 2015. Um, Andrade and Angel Garza knocking off Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. This was a great match. Crowd or no crowd. Which it obviously would have been better with a crowd. Obviously. But it was still a great match. They got a ton of time. Which... Granted, I mean, they did it to kill TV time, because it's three hours of a lot of nothing. Just replays and recaps and whatever. Um, but they gave them a lot of time, and if there's any match to give 20 minutes to, it's Andrade, Garza, Ricochet, and Alexander. I thought this was great. few different things. One, Ricochet looks weird as hell with no beard. Two, I love the idea of Ricochet and Cedric teaming. And yes, they are better off on their own, but if WWE has shown zero interest and pushing these guys on their own, then you might as well put them together as a tag team. The Raw Tag Team division needs tag teams anyway. So why the hell not? Three, uh, Andrade and Garza have awesome chemistry. Again, as much as I really wanted that four-way at Mania for the United States Championship, I could get behind the idea of the two teaming for right now. I think them and the Street Profits... I mean, honestly, I would have done the four-way. You can have... I thought Garza would win, but you could still do Andrade and Garza... As a team, you know, teasing tension, who among Zelina's clients wants the championship more, blah, blah, blah. And then do like an interim feud between them and the Street Profits. We're kind of getting rushed into it at WrestleMania with only two weeks worth of build, but it is what it is. This was fucking great. For the 20 minutes they got, and it's unfortunate too, people, you know, they're going to remember the botch more so than the match itself. Because what happened was, Cedric... Did not kick out when he was supposed to. Andrade hit that awesome spinning back fist that he does or the spinning back elbow, whatever the move is. It looked fucking great. And honestly, I believe that is a finisher. But I don't think it was supposed to be the finish. He's never won with that. So he, he. it's definitely Cedric's fault he didn't kick out and the referee knew he wasn't supposed to kick out. So he, like, faked hitting three and then he actually hit three and then Cedric kicked out too late. It was just a mess. It was a fucking mess. So It sucks, but I thought the match was uh, really, really good, regardless. Regardless of the the botched finish, I thought it was a great match. And Andrade and Garza, after what I saw on Monday, is a team that I could get behind. Ricochet and Cedric is another team that I could get behind. I've seen people bring up the idea, oh, what if you have MVP manage them? Honestly, I, I love that idea, too. I said that weeks ago where, and I'm not the only one, that I think MVP would be a great manager for someone. And he didn't say that he wanted to manage someone, um, a few weeks ago on Raw, when we last saw him, he said that he wanted to form some sort of a stable. And I think a stable of Ricochet MVP and Cedric, hey, that sounds good to me. If it gets Ricochet and Cedric back on TV in a regular role, winning more matches than they lose, that sounds great to me. So hopefully that's where they're going with this. I doubt it, but that's just an idea. Andrade and Garza, at least in the interim, are a tremendous tag team. That's what I learned from this match. We then had the Street Profits in action against the duo of Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. Shane Thorne, of course, from TM61 Fame, he's been flying solo for the better part of the past year or so after um, Nick Miller left for New Japan Pro Wrestling in late 2018. I guess he's been since paired up with Brendan Vink, who I've never heard of before. He's huge. He's a big dude. They didn't really have that impressive a showing here, that impressive of a showing here, um, just because the match was so short. But, I mean, it it could work as a team. I mean, there are no TM61. I think Shane Thorne was doing kind of fine on his own. They were pushing him for a while. He won his fair share of matches there. Um, I think he beat Bronson Reed. He beat uh, Joaquin Wilde and maybe one or two other people. And um, then he lost to Johnny Gargano, and that was kind of it back in October, and then we really haven't seen a ton of him since. Um, But he is a good hand to have in the ring, I thought. It was cool to see him on Raw here. And, of course, they're going to be using more people like this to kind of limit down on the people they bring in of their own roster that can't travel right now. So it makes sense. Like, we saw Leon Ruff later on in the show getting squashed by Aleister Black. I know Leon Ruff is from Evolve. He was actually... (laughs) The funny thing is that he was on Main Event last week, too. They did the exact same match. They could have just replayed the same match and just dubbed over the commentary from Byron and Mickey with, um, Tom and Byron, right? Yeah. Yeah. Byron was on the show regardless. So it doesn't even matter, but you could have just replaced Mickey with Tom. It would have been the exact same match. Not that anyone who watches main event anyway, except for the five schmucks, including myself, but I just thought that was funny. So they're bringing in people like that to do the job. And you know, I think it works. I I like the enhancement matches. I like the idea of having the two teams that are involved in the raw tag team title match of mania go out there and have a brief exhibition. You give the match that was going to be great a lot of time. You give the Street Profits match only three minutes. It only needs to be three minutes. I like that a lot. Um, we also had an interview with Charlie Caruso and Sheena Baszler in the ring with Baszler addressing Becky and how she's going to break her apart at WrestleMania. It only lasted about a minute or two before Becky came out, out of nowhere, smashed her across the back with a steel chair, and stood tall to end the segment. Becky's been getting the last word in the last couple weeks that, I mean, I mean not that it was... Not that we didn't really kind of figure that Sheena was winning, but like I said originally, there is a chance Becky retains, especially now that there's no crowd, WWE can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want with these matches. They could have all the people that we wanted to win lose if they want because there's no crowd to boo it. So who the hell cares, you know? And by the time this finally blows over and we get back to having actual shows, people will have probably forgotten it by then and won't boo the WWE whatever. So they'll be angry for a night and they'll move on. Probably. If not, a maybe a week. If not, a couple days. So they can do whatever they want. I'm not justifying that behavior, but they can literally do whatever they want. And I think there's a good chance Becky could win. The issue with that, though, is that I would only have Becky win under only one circumstance. That being that she goes heel. You can't really do that if there's not a crowd there to boo her. I feel like if she beat Baszler in Tampa, people would have probably booed, especially depending on how she did it. Not that they should turn a heel, I'm I'm sorry, babyface, but I think Becky specifically um, could turn heel after all the teases that she's been doing. At least not lately, but you know, a month ago before this whole thing got blown up um, with the shows being canceled and whatnot, and being having to film having to film from the PC with no crowds. So I I wouldn't have Becky win personally. I mean, again, Shane has been beaten before. She's been beaten in NXT at least twice by Rhea Ripley and also by Ember Moon, because so when she first got into NXT, she went for the NXT Women's Championship rather quickly at that January takeover two years ago. She lost to Ember that night, and then she later won the championship in the rematch. I'm not saying they should do that with Becky. I'm just saying there is a chance they follow that same formula by not giving her the belt right now. So uh, anyway, I thought this was a good segment. Uh, We already talked about the Aleister Black thing, so we had promos for the rest of the show, aside from the Asuka Charlotte replay, which, again, I thought was good. We had promos for the rest of the show from Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. And Rollins, in his promo, talked about how it worked out for the best that their match was moved from Tampa. Which, I mean, obviously not. But in storyline, they're tying this into how both guys trained at the PC. It was Rollins, according to Rollins himself anyway, who built the PC from the ground up. I mean, maybe he did. He's the the architect after all, right? He's the fucking architect. Maybe I was going to say not physically he built the building, but he is the architect. So maybe he went out there and actually put brick by brick, built the PC to what it is today. In addition to doing it figuratively as the head of NXT at that point. In all seriousness, though, I thought this was a great promo. I don't even remember what Kevin Owens said. I'm sure what he said was fine. But this was all about Rollins. He came out, circled Owens in the ring, went back to the stage... I thought this was awesome. So not only did they talk about their, you know, their history in the fact that Rollins, um, you know, that, that he's had this history at the PC, not a, you know, a lot like Owens, who won the NXT Championship there and whatnot. But Rollins wasn't even really a part of that. Rollins was, you know, he kind of, with, with the work that he did in FCW, laid the groundwork for the PC. The PC wasn't built, wasn't officially opened until 2013, By that point, Rollins was already a tag team champion on the main roster, but he took credit for kind of the success of the NXT brand, saying that without me as the first ever NXT champion, there would have been no you. There would be no Kevin Owens, and they could have what would have been even cooler is if that if they, you know, he could have mentioned, hey, oh, WrestleMania was going to take place in Tampa, and if it happened there, I would have beat you there, too. Because that was only 15 minutes away from the building where we had FCW back in the day. And we that would have tied so perfectly into the FCW documentary they just put out a few weeks ago. Which was great, by the way. So I thought this was awesome. Rollins also brought up his success at WrestleMania. Having beaten Brock Lesnar last year. Having beaten Triple H a few years ago. Now, he wasn't going to name drop The Miz and Finn Balor and all these other people in the same breath as them. Um, but still, I mean, he's right. He beat Triple H at WrestleMania 33. He beat Brock Lesnar to win the Universal Championship last year. Um, two years ago, he beat the Miz and Balor in a triple threat to win the Intercontinental Championship. Um, you know, he and the rest of the Shield beat Big Show, Randy Orton, and Sheamus back in 2013 at WrestleMania 29. They beat the New Age Outlaws and Kane at WrestleMania 30. 31, he lost to Orton, but he still ended that show as the WWE World Heavyweight Champion when he cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase. So every Mania he's appeared at, he has won that match. Which is actually very impressive. So he's not undefeated at Mania, but that, he's like the new Edge. He's had a lot of success at WrestleMania. Um, he has been pinned, he has been beaten, but he's won at every Mania he's been in. I think that ends this year with Kevin Owens beating him. Owens... I think Rollins said he's never had that WrestleMania moment, which isn't entirely accurate. Now Owens hasn't had a lot of WrestleMania moments. Um, His WrestleMania debut at 32 was a ladder match. He walked into Mania as the Intercontinental Champion, did not walk out as the champion. 33, he did beat Chris Jericho to win the United States Championship, but that's really the only Mania highlight that he has. 34, he lost to... um, him Him and Sami Zayn lost to Shane McMahon and the returning Daniel Bryan. 35, he wasn't even there, which I also like that Rollins brought up. Um, While Rollins was winning the Universal Championship and beating Brock Lesnar, Kevin Owens wasn't even on the card. And that was when they were doing actual stadiums, which was pretty bad back then. So I love the fact they brought this up. I thought this was, if not Rollins' greatest promo ever, it's certainly in that conversation. This was great. The only thing better than this promo was Randy Orton's promo, which is saying something because I love that Rollins promo too. Orton's promo, I mean, again, this should come as no surprise, though, because this guy's been killing it on the mic since the start of this storyline two months ago, even when he wasn't talking two months ago, when he came out the silence, or not silence, but, you know, he would be silent, the crowd would be booing him, he would say nothing, he attacked, you know, Beth Phoenix, he attacked Matt Hardy, he faced Kevin Owens, beat him up, whatever. So anyway, so we came out this week to respond to Edge from last week, who also cut a hell of a promo at the beginning of Raw last week. This promo from Randy was tremendous. And this is a guy you got to remember. Talking has never been his strong suit. I would say if you had to ask me, what is Randy better at, talking or wrestling? I would say wrestling by a wide margin. And he has had some very good promos over the course of his career, more so as a heel than as a babyface, definitely. But even then, even as a heel, a lot of his heel promos in 08, 09, 2010, some were good, a lot of them were very monotone. I thought this was great. It felt motivated. He brought up how Edge may have been jealous when he was in Evolution. He felt that Orton had everything handed to him. He didn't. He worked for it. Blah, blah, blah. Becoming the first ever, the I'm sorry, the youngest ever world champion in WWE history. While well, Edge was still floundering in the mid-card. All of which is true, by the way. I thought this was great. This definitely got me hyped for WrestleMania and the match that they're going to be having, which is last man standing. So, yeah, it sucks they're not doing it with an audience, but... You might not even need an audience for this. If they take the match outside the ring, they don't have to do the match in the ring. They could do it anywhere. They could do it backstage. They could do it in the parking lot. We'll find out. But this is a match where I really hope they make full use of the stipulation and don't just brawl around ringside or just in the ring or just in the PC. Don't follow the same formula as Gargano and Shampa from a few weeks ago, which was great. But to repeat that... Less than a month later would be, you know, I I don't like that. So hopefully they get creative with the uh, environment that they fight in and really take their feud to new heights, literally and figuratively. So I thought Raw overall was actually a much better show than I was expecting. Um, I do want to get to the network playlist stuff, so I'll go quickly through NXT and Dynamite. Dynamite, there really wasn't a ton to say. I'll go through that quickly. Um, Dynamite was a good, solid show. I enjoyed the show. Not very newsworthy, but, I mean... It's hard to top last week. The debuts of Brody Lee and, and Broken and Matt Hardy were so great that it's gonna be tough to top that, but this was still a solid show. Um there was no Jim Ross. There was still no Justin Roberts, no Excalibur. I guess they just didn't fly them out. Um, so they weren't there. No people in the audience this time. I was I assumed that they were told not to or it was a health thing. So and then it's not like they had 30 people out in the audience anyway. Um, it was only a few wrestlers, but it, I th- again, I think the new, I think the new edict is that it can't be more than, like, two people, or I, I don't know. They were all sitting in the back. The heels were Billy Gunn, Austin Gunn, Dasha Gonzalez, who came across as, as incredibly annoying. All the shots, that kept cutting back to the heels in the back, in the back area, in the backstage area. I didn't see a lot of people talking about that. Maybe this is just me. It sounds like it's just me. I thought that was so annoying. I love the wrestlers on the outside you know, the ring and the audience last week, I thought that was cool. They can't do that this week? Fine. Just have the commentary team make up for it. To hear the, to hear the heels constantly screaming from the back, specifically Dasha, got so annoying after a while, specifically during the uh, A Mega Championship match between Kenny Omega and Sammy Guevara, which I thought was easily the best thing on this entire show. And that included a face-off between Broke and Matt Hardy and Chris Jericho. Jericho called Vanguard One a piece of shit. Um... Matt Hardy called him a hole, of, uh, a hole of the ass or whatever. He said that to Jericho. It was a great segment. Not as great as it would have been with an actual audience there. But they made the most of, again, like I've always said, the last couple of weeks. They made the most of a bad situation. And it was entertaining, so I can't complain. You know, Cody and Kenny saving Matt from Jericho and Sammy. This was good. Kenny, owned Sam, uh, Kenny Omega and Sammy Guevara for the AAA Mega Championship. Never really thought the outcome was ever in doubt, but the match itself I thought was very well wrestled and just great stuff. Omega's back to being the Omega of old, and Guevara is great as well. Uh, Brody Lee beat QT Marshall. The shots at Vince McMahon I'm not overly enthusiastic about. I thought the one line, the one, you know, dig last week at Vince when he was like, Christopher Daniels, you're not the first old man to, what did he say, underestimate me or not see my worth or whatever... and you, you you damn sure... but you damn sure will be the last... whatever the line was... I thought it was a great line... they were kind of being overt about it this week... with the whole sneezing thing... why else would they have done that... if it wasn't a shot event? so hopefully that's not his new gimmick... I know he has a lot of... probably pent up frustration... towards WWE and Vince McMahon... but... if it becomes a regular occurrence... I think that's stupid... I would rather just see it... be a one and done type thing... this week was fine... next week if they do it again... That's just overkill. But the the squash itself was solid. Jake Hager beating Chico Adams, some random dude, some random jobber. Um, exactly what it needed to be at a, only a minute long. Darby Allen knocking off Skip Sabian, which I thought was a good match as well. And Cody beating Jimmy Havoc, who we have not seen a lot of on Dynamite lately. Um, I think Kenny Omega made kind of a dumb line, and I thought Cody was great on commentary on the show. Kenny was fine too at certain parts, but Kenny's saying, oh, um, Jimmy Havoc has been a star in AEW Dark. Kind of a dumb line. That's like saying, oh, Zack Ryder, a star of main, uh, you know WWE main event. Kind of shows that he's a secondary guy and not on Cody's level. I never really thought he was going to be Cody. I thought it was a very good match. But, uh, you know, they need to do more with Jimmy Havoc. It's cool to see him kind of branch away from the hardcore stuff for a little while. I wish Joey would do more of that. And he kind of has lately. I don't really dig the hardcore stuff, but as a wrestler, the guy is good, and I'm, I'm gradually becoming a fan of Jimmy Havoc. I thought he had a solid showing here, even in defeat. Real quickly from NXT, they did announce that next week they're beginning the Takeover shows. So, what's happening is there is no Takeover Tampa, obviously. Um, and as opposed to doing it on one episode of NXT, they're expanding it to several shows. So, next week they're doing Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic versus Damian Priest and a triple threat for the NXT North American Championship. So, I guess like that would have been a match they were going to do a TakeOver Tampa? I mean, they were already kind of building to that anyway, so it makes sense. So that'll be the main event, I would assume, of next week's show. In two weeks, they're doing the TakeOver ladder match they would have done. The number one contender's NXT Women's Championship ladder match. Um, we found out more participants involved in that match on this show. And they're also doing Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, which I don't know if it would have been the main event A TakeOver. Probably would have been. But they're doing that as the main event, I would assume, on NXT in two weeks. So I like that idea. I don't know if they have that stuff filmed. Again, they can't film after tonight, I believe, until April 9th. It could be a lot longer than that. So hopefully they have this stuff in the can. Because it's not going to be good if they don't. But I, I think that's a smart idea. Hey, I would love for that TakeOver to be their first show back. I realize that's not practical, though. And if they're going ahead with WrestleMania, they kind of have to go ahead with Takeover 2. So I like that idea as opposed to doing the entire thing in front of no people. As you know, I think spreading it out is way a much better and smarter idea. On this show, we saw Tyler Breeze knock off Austin Theory in a good opening match. Not a huge fan of the outcome. I think Austin Theory losing to Tyler Breeze was a bit odd. Um, after taking Tommaso Ciampa to the limit a few weeks ago, I mean Breeze can't always lose. I get that, but like. You're trying to build up theory and then he loses. I don't know, it just seems weird to me. Killian Dane knocking off a dude named Tahuti. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I apologize. Something Miles. Um, he must be a WWE PC recruit. I've never heard of him. But uh, he lost to Killian Dane in a very standard squash match. Cameron Grimes knocked off Tony Niece in a nice little match. I thought the show was like, oh, God. I fear the worst for the show. After, after this, I'm like, man, why are they booking so many so many meaningless, pointless matches? What's going on here? But thankfully it picked up after that when we had the NXT Women's Championship number 1 contender's ladder match qualifier ain't that a mouthful? It was supposed to be Ziyali versus Aliyah. Now, Lee I believe legitimately injured Aliyah. We were told i read somewhere that it was a work. I think it was real. Anyway, we were told that was 4 months ago. Felt like it was a month ago, but I guess it was 4 months ago. And Aliyah already made her entrance. Ziyali was shown in the back out Injured, she hurt her knee. I guess someone hurt her knee. Uh, probably banged it into that crate that she was laying up against. Ali thought she was getting a free ride to the takeover, or not the takeover ladder match, but the number one contenders ladder match for the NXT Women's Championship. Instead, they introduced their opponent. I thought the way they did this was great. They said Xia Lee is not medically cleared, but you will face someone who is medically cleared. That being Io Shirai. I thought that was very clever because we have not seen Io Shirai in about two months. I believe because she was injured. I think she got injured in that match with Tony Storm right before Worlds Collide, if not right afterward. And she has not been seen since. She was not part of the Women's Rumble. She's been completely off the show. Great to see her back. She made short work of Aaliyah and will be involved in that ladder match. i got to stop saying TakeOver ladder match. The ladder match to determine the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. I love it. Keith Lee brawled with Dijagovic and Priest. Like I said, they will face off next week in the Triple Threat for that NXT North American Championship. Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch knocked off Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink in their second match of the week of the PC. The after the match was uh, perfectly fine for what it was, and the right people went over in Lorcan and Burch. We saw a vignette for Dexter Loomis, better known as Samuel Shaw in the indie scene. He was in NWA. He was in Impact. Uh, we have not seen him at all. All, I don't think, since he got bumped from the NXT Breakout Tournament about a year ago. In July of last year. I forgot who we lost to Bronson Reed, I want to say. He lost to Bronson Reed. And we have not seen him since. I'm not a big fan of the guy. I know they're kind of going for like an American Psycho vibe with him. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of his and Impact. I just found the guy boring. He's got a great physique and all that. He looks creepy as shit. But like, in the ring, he just bores me to tears. He might, you know... It's not for everybody. It's certainly not for me. Maybe some people like the whole gimmick part of it. I don't. I just think it's dumb. But um, I guess we'll see how he pans out. So then we had Candice LeRae beating Caden Carter to qualify for the ladder match in two weeks. So the current lineup looks like this for that ladder match. Candice LeRae and Io Shirai, which right there you sold me on because those two have amazing chemistry. Chelsea Green, Tegan Knox, and Mia Yim. The last spot will be determined next week. In a last chance, I think gauntlet match, with the losers of all the other qualifiers, including Caden Carter, Aliyah, um, Li, who didn't get a chance to even compete. Uh, who are the other losers? I think it was Shotzi Blackheart, Diana Perrazzo, and who is the other? Oh, Dakota Kai, obviously. I think Dakota Kai is winning that. Shotzi Blackheart would be cool, too. But um, I, think, I think it's going to be Dakota Kai winning and, and making it to the ladder match in two weeks. So then we had Matt Riddle knocking off Roderick Strong. Not quite as good as the TakeOver 25 match from last year that it was lucky enough to be in attendance for. It was still a good match. Riddle wins. Afterward, he got attacked by Malcolm Bivens' boys. I don't know what their... I mean, I do know what their names are now. I just wrote them down. I don't know how you pronounce them. One of them is named Rinku Singh, who I believe is the same man who had played for the Pittsburgh Pirates that was involved in that Million Dollar Arm you know, documentary years ago. And then WWE signed him out of nowhere like about a year or so ago. So that's pretty cool. I don't know who the other dude is. Um, it's S-A-U-R-A-V. So Sarav and then G-U-R-J-A-R. So Garajar. I don't know. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I'm not even going to attempt it again anyway. I, I guess I just did. But they come out, lay out Matt Riddle. Clearly, they have their sights set on the NXT Tag Team titles. Hopefully, Pete Dunne's not been affected by the travel ban. I believe he lives here in the U.S. now. So that show hopefully shouldn't be an issue. But I don't know that for a fact. Uh, Malcolm Bivens, more importantly. It's great to see him on the show finally. It's about fucking time. This guy's been under contract for at least a year and a half. He had to have been. He's been there for a long time, and they've done a whole lot of nothing with the guy. He may have popped up in the crowd once, six months ago. That's it. The guy is one of the best managers in the game right now. Great to see him on TV, finally. And then, in the main event segment, as I kind of alluded to earlier, Gianni Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, their match, quote-unquote, made official for two weeks' time in NXT, courtesy of Triple H. It won't be a standard match. It will be just a straight-up fight, in an undisclosed, an undisclosed location with a referee there, just to notify Triple H when it's over. He's going to let them know, he's going to text them where they need to go to battle it out. It's like the whole texting controversy with Kevin Nash. Are we going to find out that it was, you know, Ciampa and, and, and Triple H have been in cahoots this entire time? And that Kevin Nash has been secretly involved since the start? He was the one who attacked Kevin Nash? Will Ciampa be the one who attacked Tommaso Ciampa? Who knows? Find out two weeks and the next day. But I thought that was a very good segment, though. Not to mention, and how could I forget this, Killer Cross showing up on the Titantron at the end of the segment. And they just kind of revealed the same, you know, replaying the same vignette they've been showing for weeks now with all the destruction and the doomsday and the clocks before showing Killer Cross's face. And I had seen somewhere on Twitter that They may have shown Scarlett Bordeaux as well. I'm not 100% sure if that's the case, but it would be cool if she was being paired with him right off the bat. I think they're a great um, match made in heaven right there because they are dating in real life, but I think just on paper, that's a great pairing to have on TV. So hopefully, whatever happens with Gargano and Ciampa in two weeks on TV, we get a cross and Ciampa program out of it as well. So, to end out today's episode, to close out the show, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run down... A list of shows, documentaries, and pay-per-views that you can watch on the WWE Network right now during your quarantine time. I've been a loyal subscriber practically since day one of the WWE Network. I say practically because I didn't sign up on day one. I didn't even have like a fucking card. I don't even think I had a credit or a debit card at that point. Um, I had to wait like a week or so. I had to use someone's account for the first week or two. And then I had my own account after that. But, um... Anyway, so I've been watching the network since day one. I've seen all the original shows, a majority of the pay-per-views, definitely all the WWE pay-per-views. So I will not recommend... So here's the thing. There's a lot of great content in the network. It's all tailored to what you want to watch. If you're a big WCW guy, you're a big ECW guy, I'm sorry. For the most part, I have nothing here for you. Uh, there's a lot of great pay-per-views on there, in Nitros, and Thunders, and all that other stuff. I'm not a big WCW or ECW guy, so I can't sit here and say, oh, watch this WCW pay-per-view. This is purely my list of shit that I like watching or have liked watching on the WWE Network since it launched. So again, this is all tailored to me personally, and I think they're shows that everyone can enjoy. And that goes for the pay-per-views as well. So we'll kick it off with the pay-per-views, then I'll get into the shows that you should watch in the WWE Network.
1: And again, there's a lot
0: of content here. I'm not expecting you to watch every single part of it. But for those of you who either don't have an account or haven't logged in a long time, good news. WWE network is offering a free trial right now. I think for maybe I don't know, a month or two. I mean they always do the they always do like the free month. But like you can log in right now and watch a lot of different things. You can't watch everything on the network, like not WrestleMania. So they're definitely doing this like free trial shit through WrestleMania, because they're like, oh it includes everything but mania. You can include, you can watch all the other WrestleManias though, which is pretty cool. So here are the pay per views I recommend you watch on the WWE network. Starting with the NXT TakeOvers. Now, granted, I recommend you watch every fucking TakeOver. Have a TakeOver Marathon. They're practically, they're roughly like two to three hours. The first, maybe 10 or two hours. They then go from two hours to two and a half hours. Very few of them are actually three hours. So if you sat there and watched every TakeOver, obviously make time to do other shit. You could probably get through them in maybe a week, if not a lot less than that. But um, of the takeovers, I would recommend you watch. I have a lot of favorite takeovers. Two I was there for actually happened in the same building. One, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Now, is it the best one? No. But it is the first takeover to take place outside of Full Sail. And I think it's very special for that reason alone it's a great show even now five years later i would say like Takeover dallas is a better show takeover new orleans is a better show overall kind of blows this one out of the water but i'll get to like the best takeover in a moment in terms of a special Takeover, either watch the arrival show which i didn't put down here but takeover it's not takeover rival it's just a rival February of 2014. It was the, 2014. It was the first ever NXT live show they did on the network. Three days after the network launched in February of 2014. So you can watch that if you want. But I do like Brooklyn a lot. I was there for that show. Great show, specifically for Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Awesome stuff. For the best takeover, I'm biased, but I feel like this is just. I've I've heard from people that weren't even there that agree with me. NXT takeover New York from last April. Top to bottom, the best takeover they've ever done. I really like Portland. I really like Dallas. I really liked Our Evolution. None of them, in my opinion. I like New Orleans, too. I think that was the the best one up until this one. None of them hold a candle to the New York one last year. That one was great. Top to bottom, an amazing card. It had Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, two out of three falls match for the NXT Championship. You had Aleister Black and Ricochet versus the then-War Raiders, for the NXT Tag Team Titles, Velveteen Dream versus Matt Riddle. For the NXT North American Championship, you had Walter versus Pete Dunne for the WWE United Kingdom Championship, and then you had the Sheena, Bianca, Io, and what was it? Io and Kyrie Sane, of course. The Fatal Four Way for the NXT Women's Championship. Amazing show. For WrestleManias, I mean. Obviously, WrestleMania 17, got to include that. So not all of this is just recent stuff. I know I only started watching in 2008, but I will include a lot of classic pay-per-views too that I was not a fan for. And I forgot to mention this takeover too, forgot to mention this real quickly. NXT UK takeover, Cardiff. All three NXT UK takeovers are worth watching. They're all great. My favorite of the bunch so far was the Cardiff one from August of last year. Walter and Tyler Bate is still one of my favorite matches to this day. It was that good. Love that match. So check that out. That, that's it for the takeovers for right now. The WrestleManias, I got two. I don't want to just write a whole list of every WrestleMania. You can binge every WrestleMania if you want. The two I would recommend you watch, one from recent years, one from the, like, the classic years um, in terms of like before recently. I already said it, but one is WrestleMania 17. Wasn't a fan for it, Like wasn't watching at that point. But even I can say it's one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. If not the greatest WrestleMania of all time. The Attitude Era isn't for everybody. It's certainly not for me. But I think going back and watching the show, you can appreciate it for being a masterpiece of a show that it is. Stone Cold and Rock for the WWE Championship in the main event. That great, I mean, great in quotation marks. Uh, Shocking swerve at the end of the show. I'll just say that much. You had The Undertaker versus Triple H. Great match. The Triple Threat. Ladder match, the triple threat TLC match for the tag team titles between Edge and Christian, the Dudley boys, the Hardy boys. What a fucking match. Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon. Way better than it had any right to be in the street fight. Great stuff. Great show. A more recent mania, I just got done talking about this with RG over text earlier today. I think the best mania in the last decade has got to be WrestleMania 31. I think 30 is great. I agree, it's one of the better ones they've ever done. I said this on Hashtag yesterday. I think 30 and 31 are the top two best takeovers they have ever done, ever. But, that being said, I think 31 is a more complete show, top to bottom, with the main event being Brock and Roman for the WWE Championship. Great match, amazing swerve with Rollins cashing in the Money in the Bank ladder match. They have, you know, Triple H and Sting. I wasn't a big fan of, but it was still, it was all right. You know, for for a nostalgic trip, I thought it was an alright match. Uh, Randy Orton and Seth Rollins, still one of my favorite undercard WrestleMania matches to this day with a phenomenal RKO finish. What a match. They had John Cena and Rusev. Good match. Taker and Bray Wyatt. Not great, but it was alright. I think overall, it was a much better package than WrestleMania 30. 30 might have had more memorable moments But I think 31 top to bottom was just a better mania. That ladder match to kick off the show for the Intercontinental Championship was great as well. So for recent manias, watch 31. For classic manias, watch WrestleMania 17. For other pay-per-views, and these are going to scatter all over the place. And there's probably more pay-per-views I'm not thinking of. I just kind of wrote down all the pay-per-views I would recommend. Not one, but two from 2002. One, SummerSlam. SummerSlam was a great show, even better than Mania. I feel like Mania was like the weakest of the Big Four pay-per-views that year. The Rumble was even better than Mania in my opinion, which was still a good show. You know, Mania was good, but I think SummerSlam blew it out of the water. Rock and Brock for the WWE Championship, Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio, and still one of the best pay-per-view openers to this day in WWE history. Um, what else did they have? Benoit. I feel like RVD for the Intercontinental Championship. They had Edge. Was it Edge and Test? No, it wasn't Edge and Test. I I forgot what the mid card was. But that main event of Brock and Rock was absolutely amazing. Such a great match. That's such a great show. Obviously, how could I forget Triple H and Shawn Michaels? Unsanctioned match. Michaels' first match back in over four and a half years. Just great match. Phenomenal stuff. Also from 2002. Of course, I would be remiss if if I didn't mention this show. Survivor Series, 2002. Again, top to bottom. Wasn't a fan for this for WWE at this point. Wasn't watching at this point. Even I can say. I love watching the show back every single year. I probably watch the show back every year more than I do any other show. WrestleMania 31, the 5-year anniversary is this Sunday. I will watch that then. I may rewatch Survivor Series again and I just watched it a couple months ago. The first ever Elimination Chamber match. Fuck the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view from a couple weeks ago. Watch this show with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Booker T, Kane, Chris Jericho, and Rob Van Dam. I can name them right off the top of my head. That's how much I love that match. Great match. Brock and Big Show for the WWE Championship. A lot better than how it sounds. It was Brock's first loss in WWE. It was a four-minute spectacle. They had the triple threat tag team title match, the Guerreros versus Benoit and Kurt Angle versus Edge and Rey Mysterio. Great match. The Dudley Boys. It wasn't the Dudley Boys. The The Dudley Boys reunited on the show, but it was Bubba, Jeff, and Spike versus Rico in 3-Minute Warning in a, in a six-man tag team Elimination Tables match. Great match as well. Again, top to bottom, just a really good fucking show. Trish Stratus, I think, versus Victoria for the women's title. A very clear, concise card. Scott Steiner made his return to WWE on the show. Just a very, very good Survivor. I think the best Survivor Series they've ever done. Period. Fuck the Montreal Screwjob. This this show is absolutely must say. From 2011, again, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this show. Money in the Bank, 2011. Still one of, if not my favorite, overall pay-per-view to this day. Such a great show. CM Punk versus John Cena for the WWE Championship in Chicago. Punk wins... He leaves the company as the WWE champion. You also had two great Money in the Bank ladder matches. Big Show and Mark Henry exceeded expectations. Kelly Kelly and Bree Bella for the Divas Championship. Not as terrible as it sounds. And they also did... What was the other match? Oh, Christian and Randy Orton. How could I forget? For the World Heavyweight Championship. That was a great match as well. Fucking love that show. ECW One Night Stand 2005. The 06 one is good too. The 05-1, again, I'm not a big ECW guy, but you watched that show from the, from the Manhattan Center, the Hammerstein Ballroom, a, inside the Manhattan Center, New York City. Those crowds went wild. Those fans went wild in that crowd. They were fucking nuts. I don't even remember what the main event was. Wasn't it like the Dudley Boys versus, like, the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer or something? I don't even remember half of the card, but, like, that show was so good. There was, like, Masato Tanaka versus Mike Awesome, I think. That was a great match. Um, 06 had more memorable matches, in my opinion. Like, they had RVD and Cena, which was great. I think they did Orton and Angle. Benoit and Eddie, I believe. Great match as well. Um, if I'm not mistaken. That was right before Eddie died, too. But, uh, yeah, I think 05 is the better show. If not just slightly. 05 is just a... It's just great. It's magical. It was the first time they had done something like that, and it paid off amazingly well. That promo from Paul Heyman, where he was like... Uh, talking about the the bounce checks from JBL, and Triple H is like, the only reason you were WWE champion for a year, JBL, is because Triple H didn't work Tuesdays. You know, because uh, Triple H was a raw guy at that point. you got to have watched the product to understand the joke, but it was a great line. Awesome show. SummerSlam 2013, another SummerSlam show. Again, one of my favorite SummerSlams of all time. And that's saying something. There's been a lot of great SummerSlams. I've been to a lot of SummerSlams. This one trumps them all. This was a great show. They had three of the best matches all year on the same show between um, Alberto Del Rio and Christian for the World Heavyweight Championship. Not the best match of the year. That's more so for the other two, but that was still a great match. They had Daniel Bryan versus John Cena with John Cena as the defending WWE Champion for the WWE title. Amazing match. And that great swerve at the end of the show. If you've never seen it, you'd be like, holy shit, that's crazy. Um, As well as... What was the other match? Oh, of course, Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk. One of my favorite matches to this day, and still, in my opinion, the best match from 2013. And you can't go wrong either with the in-ring debut of Bray Wyatt. Now, the match wasn't great. It was basically an Inferno, Ring of Fire match, whatever, versus Kane. But it was still very interesting, and uh, it was cool to see Bray Wyatt wrestle his first ever match on the main roster. I already talked about the UK Takeover Cardiff Show. TLC 2016. Now, when they brought back the brand split four years ago, SmackDown was on fire. You could watch any of those shows from that period and you would be like, wow, that was a great show. They didn't really have a big roster at that point, but I think that was part of the appeal of SmackDown, because people always looked at Raw as having the more stacked roster, blah, blah, blah. Raw was alright at that point when they first did the brand split. Smackdown was infinitely better. They had AJ. They had Ambrose. They had Miz. They had Ziggler. That doesn't sound like a lot, but they made the most of who they had and they made it interesting. They had the Usos. They had, you know, American Alpha, Gable and Jordan. They had John Cena. They had, you know, Baron Corbin, Kalisto, um, Apollo Crews, all of which actually mattered at that point. All of whom actually mattered and they made it a great show. Uh, TLC 2016 specifically had Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles in a TLC main event. For the WWE Championship. Awesome match. This was another show top to bottom I fucking love watching back because it's so good. In um, one of the only recent pay-per-views in recent years, I would go back and watch in full and not be disappointed. They had that, Baron Corbin versus Kalisto in a chairs match, which was a lot better than it had any right to be. They had Nikki Bella versus Carmella in a chairs match. No, that was a, that was just a regular no-DQ match, I think. That was also kind of good. They had that. They had Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss in a tables match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Again, a lot better than it had any right to be, and also led to Alexa Bliss becoming a champion for the first time in WWE. Um, that was very good. The Wyatt family, including Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, teaming up against who was it? Heath Slater and Rhino for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Great moment there with Orton and Wyatt, you know, um, coexisting and winning the tag team titles together. Great match. I feel like there's another... Oh, obviously the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship between Dolph Ziggler and The Miz. Awesome match. That was fucking great as well. One final pay-per-view here. Royal Rumble, 2008. Now, there's been a lot of great Rumbles. I thought this year's Rumble was great. I thought the Rumble I was there for two years ago was also great. Rumble 08, though, I just have a lot of fond memories of. I wasn't even watching the product at that time. But I thought top to bottom, it was a great show. And that Rumble was one of the best they've ever done. With Cena returning, it was such a great rumble at MSJ. But the other matches, I wouldn't even just watch that rumble. The entire card was great. They had, also on that show, they had Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy for the WWE Championship. They had, let's see, for the World Heavyweight Championship, I think it was Edge and Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho versus JBL, Ric Flair versus Mr. Kennedy or MVP, I forgot which one. Um, It was just a very fun show from what I can remember, specifically for the Rumble, but the top two title matches were very good as well. So now let's move on to the shows that you should watch on the WWE Network. Those were the pay-per-views, let's get to the shows, and I'll get to specific documentaries in a second. The entire Ruthless Aggression show, I just got done reviewing it for Network and Chill a couple weeks ago. It just wrapped up, there's only five episodes, about 40 minutes to an hour each. You'll be done with it within a few hours. It's a very quick watch. It's very good. It's like a lot like watching Dark Side of the Ring. That's how long these episodes are. You'll be done with it relatively quickly if you watch it all in one setting. And there's only five episodes, too. Um, very good show, kind of detailing the ins and outs of the Ruthless Aggression Era. They could have done better with some episodes, but they focus on John Cena, um, Evolution, the start of the brand split. I think the draft as well. The brand extension itself. Brock Lesnar. Very good show. That just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. The Monday Night War show is good, too. I like the Ruthless Aggression stuff more, but the Monday Night War show is also very good if you want to watch that, if you're more into the Attitude Era. The Stone Cold Podcast. Not just Broken Skull Sessions. I'll mention that, too. Um, The Undertaker episode of that specifically is a must-see just because you never see Taker in that environment. Not Broken Skull Sessions, but the Stone Cold Podcast because they ran that originally five, six years ago. They did an episode with Vince... Triple H, and they were all great. My favorite episode of that bunch, aside from the AJ Styles one, which was great, the Brock Lesnar one, because, again, a lot like Taker, you never really see him in that environment. So he's talking about how he hates people, whose idea it was, for him to do that shooting star press at WrestleMania 19. Uh, Very candid conversation between Stone Cold and Brock, and you can tell they get along. Very, very good interview from October of 2015 of the Stone Cold podcast. And there's video, too, so it's not just audio, which is cool. All the WWE 24s are fucking awesome. So I can recommend any single one of them and you would not be disappointed. But my favorite one of the bunch, obviously for selfish reasons, for being biased and whatnot, is the Woken one. Focusing on the Hardy Boys. I still have yet to watch that back. I want to. It's fucking great. Matt and Jeff, their road to recovery coming back to WWE includes a lot of impact footage talks, a lot about the broken stuff, leaving WWE, their legal troubles about a decade ago very real, almost made me cry at a few different points, just very, very well done, very, you know, feel-good, happy story, and yeah, Matt's no longer in the company, but he's currently killing it in AEW, he's only been there for a week, but still, he's doing his thing in AEW right now, Jeff is back in WWE on SmackDown, cool to see him back, so I think it's timely more than anything else to watch that 24 on uh, the Hardy Boys from two years ago, it's called Woken. The entire WWE Breaking Ground show, I thought that show was great. I actually reviewed this for Networking. That was actually the first thing I ever reviewed for Networking show four years ago was the Breaking Ground show. So if you're not familiar with it, it was a lot like that Hard Knock show that um, I think HBO did or whatever channel did years ago. It's inside the PSA. They focus specifically on Chad Gable and Jason Jordan. They focus on Dana Brooke. They focus on Aaliyah. It was on NXT this week. Baron Corbin, you kind of get to know him in a whole new in an all-new way. You know, that was a great episode as well. I mean, focusing on Corbin and whatnot. It's just a really well-done show. You get to know a lot of these people. You get to know Enzo and Cass and all these other people before they make it big time. So check out Breaking Ground. It's one of the original shows on the network from the fall of 2015. They did about maybe 10 or 12 episodes. They're relatively short, though. They're only around a half an hour each. So, um, definitely check that out. It's a really, really good underrated show that does not get enough love. Legend's House was also a lot of fun. Not exactly newsworthy. You won't learn anything new for the most part, except for the final few episodes. They talk about, like, Jimmy Hart's daughter died. I think it was him or someone else. Pat Patterson officially comes out. Like, it's a really, really good show. Um, and I think everyone involved killed it. it involves Jimmy Hart. Gene Mean Okerlund, Mean Gene Okerlund, Roddy Piper before he passed, Mean Gene obviously before he passed, um, Tony Atlas, Mr. USA. He was a part of the Dark Side of the Ring Bruiser Brody episode. Um, a lot of cool people on the show. I forgot who else is on it. Pat Patterson, Howard Finkel. He's not doing a lot these days, but he was at that point. This was filmed in like 2012. It didn't debut until they launched the network in 2014. But it's a very fun show. Again, very laid back for a reality show. It's definitely some parts are a bit exaggerated, but it is a fun show regardless. The entire Cruiserweight Classic, if only the finals, from the summer of 2016, is another great show to watch on the network. Um, the entire tournament was some of the best wrestling WWE's ever done. They had Kota Ibushi in that thing, Cedric Alexander, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, I believe Raul Mendoza. Um, God, just so many people. Who else was in it? TJ Perkins, who is now an impact, who won the whole thing. Gran Metalik, Zack Saber Jr. um, Rich Swan, God, there were so many great talents I'm just not remembering right now. Mustafa Ali was a part of it, I believe. There were a lot of good wrestlers in that thing. Brian Kendrick, Drew Gulak, Tony Nese. Um, a lot of good wrestlers. So definitely check out the Cruiserweight Classic if you have not already seen it. All the shows. I mean, there's not a lot of episodes. It is very good, though. Check out Mae Young Classic as well, specifically the 2019 one. The, or not the 2019. There was a no 2019 one. The 2018 one. The first one in 2017 was good, too. The 2018 one I thought was a little bit better. So check that one out. Um, all the matches, all the episodes. Uh, Mercedes Martinez is a part of it. Tessa Blanchard was part of the first one. I don't think she was a part of the second one. Mercedes Martinez was part of the second one. Tony Storm. I believe Kaylee Ray, if I'm not mistaken. Um, not Kyrie. EO uh, is a part of the second one. Tegan Knox was before she got hurt. Rhea Ripley. Candice, I don't know if Candice was in the second one. She was not the first. They kind of mix and match the two. Uh, Madison Rain was part of the second one from Impact. Marty Bell from the NWA. A lot of you know, women's wrestlers you would recognize now. That's a great tournament, too. For a specific episode of a show, Talking Smack was a great show. It was an unfiltered recap show for SmackDown back when they first reintroduced the brand split in 2016. And it, all the promos were, like, unscripted. They they eventually canceled it in the summer of 2017, which was bullshit. Every episode is great. One specific episode, June 27th, 2017. It was right before they canceled it. Specifically, Kevin Owens, when he's on there, is fucking hysterical. He is so funny. So check that episode out. Um, from June 27th, 2017. Halftime Heat 2019, it's not a whole show. It, it is a show, but it's specifically one match. I think it was Matt Riddle, Ricochet, and Aleister Black, I think? No, it was... No, who wasn't? Who was in that match? I think it was Velveteen Dream, Ricochet, and Aleister Black versus Gargano, Ciampa, and Adam Cole, I think. I've forgotten. Dream may not have been a part of it. Maybe it was... uh... I don't remember. I don't remember exactly who was a part of that. I'm pretty sure Ricochet and Black were part of it, weren't they? I don't remember what the exact match was, but it was fucking great. So check it out on the, on the WWE Network, Halftime Heat 2019. WWE Chronicles, another great documentary-style show, a lot like 24. Um, all the episodes are great. The Sasha Banks one, a lot of people talked about. That was good. I like the Dean Ambrose one. Because if you watch it back now, it really shows you what kind of led to him leaving WWE last year and his mindset and how kind of a dark place that he was in, his injury coming back. Very good documentary. So check that out. WWE Chronicle and Dean Ambrose. And uh, the Broken Skull Sessions episode of Taker already talked to So, Real quickly, the documentaries. There's a lot of documentaries on the network. Some of these are DVDs, and they just put the documentary portion on the network. Some of these are original documentaries made for the network. Okay? One of those is Chasing the Magic, the Nigel McGuinness story. Um, That was an original. That aired about a year ago, I think January, February 2019. I want to say January of last year. Really, really good documentary. It made Alexis a fan of Nigel McGuinness. That's how good this documentary was, and she had no idea who he was before they watched it. Great documentary. Um, You get to know about his wrestling journey, why he retired, joining WWE, being a part of the NXT UK brand. Really, really cool stuff there. Makes me want to see him get back in the ring. I don't think that's ever going to happen. If it was, I feel like it would have happened by now, but whatever. Um, the Warrior one has since been turned into a DVD, but, you know, I'll I'll talk about that now. Um, that one has actually since been turned into a DVD, but it aired originally as a documentary for the network, and it made me cry so hard, dude. None of these documentaries make me break down, but, I mean, again, I'm a very well-established Warrior fan, ultimate Warrior fan. So this came out right after he died. They filmed it right after he died. Um, he was a part of the Hall of Fame. He got inducted, appeared at Mania, appeared on Raw, died the next day. And then they put out the documentary maybe a week and a half later. Very well done. Made me ball my fucking eyes out. Um, they get shots, you know, footage with his wife and his kids and how much going into the Hall of Fame meant to him. Kind of closing a lot of doors um, in terms of like bad beef that he had with stuff, you know, you know, beef that he had with people and stuff like that before he passed away. Um, just a very heart-wrenching documentary. Even if you aren't a big Warrior fan, I think it's very well done and worth checking out. I have not talked about that doc in a while, because it's been six years, but now I want to rewatch it. It's so good. In regards to the documentaries that were originally DVDs that are now on the network, three of them come to mind. The Mankind one, the Mick Foley one, it's called For All Mankind, The Life and Career of Mick Foley. I've seen that a couple times. I watched that when I was first in college in 2013. That was when it was released. Kind of gives you an inside view of Mick Foley's, you know, life. And again, life and career, growing up, and, um, you know, all this other stuff. Him being a family man, being a big fan of Christmas and all this other shit. Um, Really, really good documentary. The Paul Heyman one, I I had not seen up until, like, 2017. It came out in 2014, I think. It's called Ladies and Gentlemen, My Name is Paul Heyman. Really good documentary. Really good documentary. Teaches you a lot about Paul Heyman that you probably didn't know before. Really, really good stuff. And the last one, CM Punk, Best in the World. One of, if not my favorite documentary that WWE has ever produced. Um, it came out in October of 2012. I own the DVD. Um, the DVD has all of his best matches on. And again, being a big Punk fan, I really enjoy it. And it chronicles his entire life, career, up until he left in 2011, only to resign right afterward. And, uh, I mean, again, he's gone now, but I, I think I still think the documentary stands to this day. Talking about how he wasn't happy in WWE, he wanted to change the company, Um, the feud itself with the scene, they replay the entire pipe bomb promo uncensored, Um, great, great stuff, Punk is a great dude, I met him last year and he was awesome when we met him, so um, that doc is also re-worth watching as well, really, really good. And that's my official WWE Network quarantine playlist, so check out all those shows, documentaries, pay-per-view right now on the WWE Network. If you're bored, I guarantee you, if you watch every episode, every pay-per-view, every show that I recommend it to you, this quarantine, you uh, you know, this lockdown that we're dealing with right now will be over before you know it. You'll probably still be sitting in your house, and you won't want to go anywhere until you're finished with this list I just gave you. There's more than enough content there, even beyond what I just talked about. You know, there's the 24 on Rollins. There's all the other Broken Skull sessions. There's all the other 24s on WrestleMania that are great. Um, a lot of great matches I didn't even talk about, from old pay-per-views and episodes of Raw and SmackDown and you know ECW, WCW, NXT, all the other takeovers I didn't talk about. There's so much content in the network that the words, I'm bored, aren't even in my vocabulary, considering I'm a subscriber to the network. And I promise I'm not... You know, um, I'm not here to promote them or whatever. They're not paying me. I just love the WWE Network and all the content it provides. And now is no better time to get back on there and check out all the great content they have available for you to watch. And that's going to do it, guys, for today's episode of Rant Radio for Thursday, March 26, 2020. Thanks, as always, for checking out the show. I know this is a bit of a longer episode than usual, but I had a lot to get to between Raw, Dynamite, WrestleMania being taped in advance this week. Um, NXT and as well as my WWE Network Quarantine playlist. If you enjoyed it, that's what I'm here for. Hopefully, it helped pass the time and whatnot. But you can check out full episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place, baby. So rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and be the first one notified when every new episode is uploaded on Thursdays. And also, you can find me on the socials, on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash matthews and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash Graham matthews. And finally, last but not least, that has since been confirmed, next week here on WrestleRant Radio, RJ is back. Mr. Marceau is returning uh, for the first time, I think, since we broke down, what was it, TakeOver Portland, I want to say? I know we, we had him on for the Rumble, but he was definitely on in February as well um, for something else. So he will be on a week from now on our first show in the month of April. In the month of April. I think it's going to be April, what, April 2nd, I want to say? April 2nd. Actually, on the three-year anniversary of when we were both at, sitting in different parts of the arena, WrestleMania 33, so we can kind of reminisce about that, our favorite Mania memories being there. He's been a three, I've been a two. Obviously won't be there this year. Nobody will be, but that's what we're going to talk about right here on the show next week, our preview and predictions for WrestleMania 36. Until next time, guys, stay safe, wash your hands, as I've said, ad nauseum in recent weeks around the show. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.